Happy Father's Day. This morning, we, um, we did the same thing for Mother's Day. Uh, we celebrate this day. It's not just a day we celebrate biological dads. It's a, a, we celebrate the men in our church. And, and if you're visiting with us, we want to celebrate you today. But uh, we, uh, we, we were giving gifts every year. And then uh, it was actually the moms who revolted on us who said, uh, we don't want some cheap bookmark uh, this year. <laughs> There's a group that met together. You may not have been part of that group. But anyway, they said, why don't you do this? Why don't you give a, hundred, a gift of $100 to uh, Clarity Solutions? Uh, because they have both a ministry for women and for men. And so it's, it helps out young moms. It helps out young dads. It helps out. Helps, they provide a lot of classes. Um, they provide a lot of pregnancy support resources and, and for, for both uh, men and women. And so, uh, so it's a very valuable asset to our community. That, that's a great way we can express how we appreciate them and also how we appreciate uh, the men and women of our church and, and what they represent. So today, if you are with us today, this is a, I know that I would probably better off uh, celebrating the men of our church by saying, let all the men stay seated, but... I'm not going to do that. So uh, since I'm standing with all, I'm just going to ask right now, if all the men were to stand up right now, just to give us a chance to recognize you and just to show our appreciation uh, with everybody else giving a round of applause. Thank you for that. Thank you guys very much. So, all right, you may be seated. Thank you. You really are a bunch of superheroes. So at least to somebody. So even if you don't wear the suit, I think Travis has underoos or something that he wears. They're superhero oriented. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just threw that in there. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Uh, today we are uh, we're coming to wrapping this up. So uh, this building a family life center. I, we have. Uh, if you have not filled out a survey yet, they're on that back table back there. Uh, they gave them out during Sunday school last week. I don't know if they have them in the Sunday school folders this week, but. Uh, Please, there's a box out there. It's a U.S. Postal Service box that we've repurposed that says put surveys here on the table out there. Take some time to fill this out and turn it in. We, uh, we've got, I think, over 30 back so far, but we need over 100. We need at least 100 to really get a good sampling of everybody. So to get that, that means you have to fill out one. And if you're wondering if I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you if you haven't filled one out. Uh, so uh, everybody needs to fill one out. And uh, because it really, it just goes through several things about the, the we have a committee that we put together to kind of assess where the church is and the need for Family Life Center. And one of the important questions is, uh, and, and this is because, uh, depending on the outcome of this question, one of the reasons why we have our services the way they are, uh, somebody asked me this Friday, is because we do the two Sunday schools because if we only have one Sunday school time, we will run out of space in order to have Sunday school. Uh, and so we don't have enough rooms. So that, if you say we want one Sunday school, that means that we have to move toward building a building. Those two go hand in hand. And so because um, so we have to create more educational space. So... So that, so, and that is one of the questions. It, it, it kind of reads like this. The church needs to have a traditional service at 930 and a contemporary service at 11 with Bible study at each time. And the other one, is, uh, the second one is the church needs to have a traditional service at 830, Bible study classes at 930 a.m. for all, and a contemporary service at 11. 
And then the church needs to maintain the current Sunday morning schedule. So those three options are, we were kind of wanted you to voice there. Uh, if you think of a fourth or a fifth option, you can just write that in the margin. But, uh, but those were just three that we thought of that have been expressed to us. People expressed to us that, why don't we do this? And it's like, well, let's ask the church. And so, uh, so that's why we need your input. We need your input to kind of, uh, not just that, but what you would expect in a, in a building or so forth and, and what you would want that building to do. And, uh, and then at the end of the survey, it asks uh, how much you would be willing to help contribute toward that because we don't have somebody in the community besides us who's willing to pay for it. Uh, we didn't get some anonymous gift from a great benefactor. So we will have to, it's going to have to come out of our pockets if we build something like that. So we have to think through that too. Uh, but so that's, that's why it's important to fill it out and turn it in. If you need some time to think it through, that's fine. But just do take one, fill it out and, and turn it in uh, sometime this month. We want to get them all in by the end of this month. Um, but when we talk about building a family life center, and I've expressed this, if you're, this is your first time coming into this series, we've expressed over and over and over again that we're not talking in this about a building. We're talking about how Jesus needs to be the center of our family life. And so when we talk about building a family life center, we're talking about building Christ into the center of our homes and how, how to have Jesus at the center of our life. You don't need a building to do that. It's not about a building. It's about the process of building and the process of building families and making our families stronger. And we started it on Mother's Day and, or just before Mother's Day and we're continuing through uh, today. But we want to um, look at a passage. Uh, well, well, first of all, let me tell you what we're talking about today. Uh, today we're talking about... Um, next slide. There it is. What Dad Wants Every Day. What Dad Wants Every Day. And um, when we think about what dad wants every day, um, the reason I thought of that title is because my kids were asking, what do I want for Father's Day? And, you know, we're a difficult group to buy for. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know, men, we, we like to buy what we want for ourselves. We like to pick out what we want and choose because we know what we want. So you're going to get something where if it's not exactly what we were looking for and we, and we kind of like the process of discovering what it is that we want. So when you go and buy it, it's kind of like, oh, that's nice, but that is not what I wanted. Uh, but, uh, that is not what I would have gotten. Uh, and so, so we get things like ties and socks and, uh, yeah, ties and socks. That pretty much covers it, I think. But uh, we, uh, some other things that you might get thrown in, maybe homemade ashtra- ashtrays or, or something like that, or a mug that was made in a pottery class. Uh, but well, whatever the case, uh, you know, what do you get, Dad? And, and, and so I was thinking through that, what, what I really wanted, and, and, and it goes beyond uh, me, because when I really try to think of who I am, who God has created me to be, who God has created dads to be, how God has designed men. He really has made us as people who pass on to another generation his spirit, his, his desires. When he says he's our father in heaven and then makes us into fathers or at least made us into his image, as we mentor a new generation of people, uh, there are the expectations that our father has of us are the same expectations that we're supposed to pass along to another generation. So 
when I said what dad wants, not just on Father's Day, it's what we want every day. It really got narrowed down to just three things. Three things that are, in, that are summed up in this passage that Paul gives us when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. Now, in chapter 5, he had just been, he's just spent some time talking about how we need to submit to one another. Now, I just want to, just a little aside here, because it's kind of important because we're talking to men. Uh, there is a portion of chapter 5 where he tells wives to submit to their husbands. And I get asked by a lot of men, would you pre- please preach on that passage? My wife needs to hear that. And, uh, and, I, and I'm like, I don't know that you want me to preach on that passage if that's your attitude. Because the whole passage is about husbands need to love their wives as Christ loves the church. You know? and, and, he, and he's telling wives, as your husbands are loving you as Christ loves the church, you need to submit to that love just as you would submit to the love of Christ. And so, but the idea of submission, the idea of submission is different than the idea of obedience. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But, but he tells wives to submit to their husbands, but he has also already expressed that we as a church are to submit to each other. All of us are submitted to each other. So it's not like when we, we point, single out women and say, women, you're supposed to submit and men, you're not. No, everybody is submitting. We're all submitting to each other in Christ. And then he just specifically says, and this, this plays out that wives, you should be submitting to, as, you're, as God is leading your husband, you should be submitting to leadership. As he's trying to love you in the name of Christ, you should submit to that love. And so, um, so there's this submission idea. And then in chapter 6, he speaks to children. And there aren't very many passages in the Bible that actually speak to children. Uh, there's a lot of how we relate to one another as adult believers in Christ. Uh, there's some things that talk about how Jesus loves children. And when the children came to him, he said, let them come. And the disciples tried to keep him away. But he said, no, no, no. But this is a passage where Paul speaks specifically to kids. And, uh, and it just doesn't bode well for kids. So if you're a kid here this morning, I'm sorry. Uh, he's going to really hammer you this morning. And there's no, way, there's no wiggle room in this. So it's just going to be, it's just that way. But it is that way for a reason, and that's what we're going to talk about. But these are three things that we need to not just give our, this is what we, these are three things to give our earthly fathers. But the reason why Paul is telling us to give these things to our earthly fathers is because it is preparing us that these are also three things we give to our heavenly father. And so as we learn to give them to our earthly father, we are ultimately learning to give these three things to our heavenly father. And this is our attitude for all eternity. And so so basically our parents are supposed to be conditioning us for how we are to serve the Lord for all eternity. So hopefully, hopefully that will help a little bit. But look, in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I apologize that I'm not spotlighted and all lit up up here. But all of our spotlights are burned out. So we, um, I don't know what that says about me. That I... I don't know what it says, that God's put me back in darkness or or something. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, and that applies to all of us. That's one thing I can say with all certainty. Everyone in this room is a children. So, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. 
because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these simple instructions. And Lord, as important as they were when the Apostle Paul wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, Lord, they are that important today. And so, Lord, may we, may we learn what you're trying to say to us. And, Father, may we learn to put it into um, practice in our daily lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it starts with obedience. Obedience. Um, we want to uh, think about this for a second. When we think about obedience... Um, I think about the first thing that came to mind was training dogs. And the reason why that came to mind is, is because this is why we don't like the word obedience. Because we think in terms of it is a master trying to bring us into, here's a word, submission again, against our will. Or, you know, that, that we feel like I, I'm being told what to do. And part of growing up, there's my phone telling me I haven't turned it off. Um, and then part of growing up is me thinking there's got to be a point later where I switch from being the dog to the master. That I, I don't, I don't want to be thought of like a pet or like, or like a slave. I want to be thought of like an individual, a person, a, a man or, or a woman or, you know, that, not me like a woman, but me like a man. Other people who are women think of themselves like women. I don't want to have to get into that. Uh, but, the, but the key is, is that we want to be thought of like an adult, like I'm a grown-up now. And I don't, I don't want to have to obey. And so we, we realize there are certain things that we have to obey, but we, we don't, like when we go to work, we, we know we work, but we could do whatever we want to do. We want to be our own boss. We want to be our, we want to own our own company. These are the things people strive for, especially in America. We don't like to obey other people. We like to make our own, we like to believe that if I could run my life the way I want to run it, it may not be the best life ever, but it would be the life that I wanted to have. And so this is what our world is striving for, this independence. It's our, our nation is founded upon these type of things. And so, so we, we have this spirit, especially in American culture, that, that we want. But it's, but it's not just, it's all over the world. All over the world, people are trying to get out from the oppression. Because this is what you think. You think, it, you know, a dog is under oppression. My wife believes this. My wife believes that all dogs should be set free. That none of them should have collars or leashes or cages. They should all just roam free throughout the world. That's what dogs really want. That's what they desire. You know, she's thinking. But what she's really expressing is, is that's what humans really want. That's what we really want. And so the idea of being told to obey is is hard for us. So when he says this, I've had people come to me and tell me, you know what? I know the Bible says it, but I'm not going to do it. And you're like, wow, that's pretty brazen, you know, but uh, because it's basically like saying God got that wrong. He, he's obviously misunderstanding something. I can't, they will tell people will tell me, I can't believe that God who loves me would want me to be obedient to people who don't want the best for me, who don't understand me, who don't know what I want. 
And here's the problem. The problem is, is that we don't understand who we are. We don't understand who we are. We're not dogs. But at the same time, we're not gods either. We are not, we were not created to be God. We were created, designed, made by God to serve God. To serve God. We were made for that reason. And when we, the, and what Satan is telling us is that we're not made for that reason. So you have an enemy and, and the world has believed the lie of the enemy. So the world is chanting his mantra. So you have all these people around you saying, no, 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 no. We were made to be masters. And God says, no, you were made to be servants. Servants. We were made to serve. And, and when we fight against, the, you know what the penalty is for not being a servant? It's death. <laughs> because not being a servant is disobedience. And this is what God has said. I'm going to have to eliminate all the people in the world. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and said, we're going to do what we want to do. And God says, if you do what you want to do, you're going to go to the same place that Satan went because that's what he did. And everybody who says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and not, doesn't obey me, I'm going to put them all in the same place. And that's what we call hell. That's because you're removed from the presence of God because God didn't make us for that reason. And you will upset the apple cart of heaven if he allowed anybody in who believed they could be God. And, uh, and so there's, no, there's, only place in the, there's only room for one God in heaven, and that is the God of heaven. And so that's, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is, is that you can be with Jesus for all eternity. But if you want to be with Jesus for all eternity, there is something you have to submit to. And that is his, his leadership, his kingship, that he is the master and we are not. And so, so when we, this is what he says. So, he, so this starts with children. It starts with children. It starts with teaching children this fundamental thing. And, and parents, hear me. If you have, if you're a parent or you have a child in your life or you have young people who look to you, do not, you are never instructed in Scripture, never instructed in Scripture to teach them to be independent of authority, to teach them to reject authority. This is what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents. As you would the Lord, because this is right. Because this is right. Now, it really comes down to this basic thing. That God has a plan for your life. He designed you, and he's asking you to trust him. He's asking you to trust him and, and his wisdom. And, he, and so he says, he's teaching parents and, and adults. He's teaching Older people, as we follow Christ, he's teaching us, this is why you obey me. And as you're learning to obey him, he says, now, now you pass it on. And then he commands children, now listen to these people. They've learned how important obedience is. They've learned how important authority is. They understand that these guidelines that we put in place, when they say, don't touch that hot stove, don't play in the street, don't, you know, don't do this and go to bed at this time and wake up at this time and get a job. You know, when they say things like that, there's a reason for that because they're teaching you valuable concepts here of life. 
And so here's what we, we here's here's what we do as a result of this. Just practical information. If you if you are a child, still consider yourself a child, as a child, think as a child, walk as a child, act like a child, then you do this with your earthly parents. But if you move beyond your earthly parents, then you do this for your heavenly father. But whatever the case, obey your father. Obey your father, trusting in his wisdom and plan for your life. Obey your father, trusting in his wisdom and plan for your life. So that means whatever your father in heaven says for you to do. Like Jesus says, I give you one commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a commandment. So what do we do to that? We obey it. And this is what, and so as parents, this is what we're teaching our children. We're teaching our children to love others as Jesus has loved us and how that plays itself out. So we're teaching our children to be kind to other people. We're telling, teaching our children to be sorry, to, to say they're sorry and to be sorry. We're teaching our children to love their siblings and to, to love their, the people in the community and to love the elderly and love, love their relatives and, and, and no matter what they look like or act like. And so it's, it's, we're teaching our children to love. We're, we're just simply saying, I'm trying to help you understand your relationship with our Father in heaven. And so this is, this is our, because that's what his, our plan for, his plan for our life is. So we're following in this plan for our life. We do not teach our, I've had parents come to me and say, I just let my kids decide what they want to do. It's, not, it's like, well, you can do that, but you are now disobeying God. Because God never told you to do that. God never told you to just let your kids decide what they want to do. God told you to teach your children how to obey him. Because there's, that's life. That's what gives them life. And there's no life apart from that. So if you want to teach your children how to disobey God so that they can go to hell for all eternity, you know, that's not a good choice. He said that's, that, if he was writing that down, he'd say this is wrong. That's what he said. He said, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord because this is right. We want, we want to do what God tells us to do because there's life in it. There's life in it. We'll get to that in a second. So obedience, number one thing that fathers should want from their children because that's where hope lies. Not because we just want to bring them like a dog into submission, not because we want to teach them to roll over and play dead, but because we want to teach them how to fulfill the design, the purpose that God created them for. And so the next thing is honor. We want honor. From our children. And uh, uh, this is the Congressional Medal of Honor for the U.S. Army. And uh, it is one of the highest awards that can be given uh, for an act of valor and service uh, in, in conflict. And uh, in, in I think there's been over almost 4,000 of these given out, which in the greater scope of things is not that many. When you consider how many people have served in the armed forces and all the acts of valor, but the uh, but over all the branches of military, uh, over I know it's over three thousand, but have been given out. The uh, but here's the idea: when someone does something honorable, uh, we we bestow honor upon them. We bestow honor upon them. And in the Bible, we are commanded. This is one of the Ten Commandments to honor our father and mother. And he actually attaches a promise to this commandment. Uh, and that is that you'll have long life if you do this. Now, 
This is where some people, I think, misunderstand something here. In that, um, we think, well, does that mean I'll live to be 92? Or 98? If I'm good to my parents? And, and then we look and say, well, if it's a promise, it should be good every time. And I know this person who honored their parents, and they died young. Well, well think of it in these Think of it in God's terms. What is life? Life is being alive, right? And how long are we alive in Christ? Forever. So that's long life. Uh, it's not about how many human years I have. Now, I'm not going to say that as a, as a general rule, good being, this is a good practice for long, healthy living upon this planet. But here's the idea that when we honor our father and mother... We're on a path to eternal life as they, as our parents are instilling us. Now, people, I, this is a question that comes up from kids and from young adults and so forth. What if my parents are ungodly? What if my parents are telling me things to do that are in opposition to God and so forth? I, I wish we just need a little bit of common sense when we read the word of God. Because, no, he is not telling you that if your parent tells you to go out and do something really stupid, that you're supposed to do what they say simply because God told you to do it. He's, the idea is this, that as your parents have been entrusted by God to, to teach you how to follow the Lord, that you need to be following their instruction in learn, or to learn how to follow the Lord. Same way it is with government, uh, you know, politicians and our government and so forth. Our government gives us rules and guidelines to, have, to make us most effectively work with each other in peace. But when they ask us to do something that's in direct violation of what God asks us to do, obviously you don't obey the government. You obey God. But God puts our governments in place, puts our parents in place and so forth to, to show us, to guide us and instruct us. This, think of it like this. You're going to have to stand before God one day. And, and if you can say to God, well, my dad asked me to do that, but I believe it was in direct contradiction to what you would want me to do. And you feel like you get a case there, more power to you. Great. That's awesome. And, and God, will, he's just. He'll, he'll obviously... Say, you're right. You, you were spot on, big guy. You know? But when you say, my dad asked me to make my bed every morning, and I just thought that was ungodly behavior, and so I didn't do it. You know, I rebelled against him. I don't think it's going to wash. Uh, but, but whatever the case, the idea is this, that we have parents who are teaching us to honor the Lord. We have, uh, uh, they are guiding us to follow his design. So as they are doing that, and we are obeying him, we honor them. By living the life that they called us to do. Look, at, look what he says in chapter, verse 2. Chapter 6, verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. Which is the first commandment with a promise. He highlights this in the Ten Commandments. Now, again, we, highlight, we want to express that it's not just that this is the only one of the Ten Commandments we are to follow. But to show how... God created these commandments, that these their commandments in the Old Testament are in harmony with what Jesus is telling us to do. They are teaching us how to love others as Jesus has loved us. And so, so we are to honor our father and mother. We are to bestow honor upon our father and mother that is due to them because of their commitment to us to raise us in the admonition of the Lord. 
And so that's, we are honoring them as to the extent that they are doing what God has put them here to do. We are to honor them in that respect. Does that make sense? So as to the extent, just like a a person in the military, to the extent that they serve faithfully in their military service, we honor them for doing what they were called to do. And just as parents are faithful to do the duty that God gave them to do, we are to honor them for doing their duty. You know, that's, that's just right. It's righteous. We, we are to be people who honor. So this is, this is what we do. We honor our Father and in heaven by bringing glory to his name through righteous representation. This is the greatest way we can honor. That means that we honor our parents by being like our parents when they represent the Lord. And then we honor our Father in heaven by representing him faithfully. By representing him faithfully. So by bringing glory to him. He is glorified when we imitate him. When we imitate him. And so if you have godly parents, stop saying, I'm not going to be like them when I grow up. Embrace it. I know I said it. I will never be like my mom and dad. I've swore to myself it would never happen. But I had good parents. Still, my mom's still here. She's a great mom. I honor her by imitating Christ in her. So, honor our parents. And the last thing is just simply life. Life. It's a very simple concept. We just are supposed to live. Live life. Look in verse 3. He says this. So that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. That's the promise that... God gave the Israelites in the Ten Commandments. You know, um, so often we forget that um, part, the, one of the most important aspects of life is enjoying life. Just enjoying it. Living an abundant life. This, If I could sum up what... You know, me personally, as dad, you know, in, in agreement with what the word says here. Yes, I want my children to obey me when I'm trying to instruct them to do what the Lord wants them to do. When I, throughout, through the wisdom that he's given me, the experience that I have, through guidance, I want them to obey me. I want them to honor me. I want them to learn to honor me so that they understand how to honor God. Those are very important. Absolutely important. But I want them to live their lives abundantly. I get no greater joy. I, I, I get joy out of when they obey me. I get joy out of when they honor me. But I get no greater joy than when they live their lives abundantly. When they enjoy the life, when they live it to its fullest. Not, when I say enjoy it, I mean when they are doing what they were put here to do. When they are pushing themselves to their limits. When they are going places where, you know, when they take chances because they believe God wants them to take chances. When they go places that are out of their comfort zone because they want to see what God can do. When they, when they are willing to just be who God has made them to be and not just sit and watch life pass them by. That's why I get such fulfillment out of that. That is such a great gift to me. 
I mean, when we watch our kids graduate from high school, when we graduate, graduate from college or, or go out and get that job and they, and they do the job that they do well and they love their job. And they say, I really just love this job and I love doing this. I love working with kids or I love working with adults or I love doing this or I love working with numbers or whatever it is. When you say, I love it. I believe this is what God made me to do. And, and, and when they love fulfilling God's mission in their lives. And this is, I know this is what God made me to do. When my children say, I know this is what God made me to do, and here's an opportunity to do it, and I'm doing it, that's an awesome, awesome thing. Because that, that's, that's what I wanted. That's what I was hoping you would do. I'll never forget my mom. I, I really believe, I convinced myself that my mother wanted me. My dad was... My dad worked a lot, but my dad was never one to say, I expect this out of you, I expect this out of you, I expect this out of you. He did in, in little daily obedience things, but not in greater overarching life. He didn't say, this is what I want you to be when you grow up. I want you to have this career. My mom was always nervous that we were going to be poor and destitute growing up. And so she was like, please become an orthodontist because she knew how much we were paying the orthodontist. So surely they make a lot of money. So you should become an orthodontist and get some of that back or an attorney or a doctor or something, you know, go to school, learn to do this so you won't be poor. So I was really terrified when I sensed a call to ministry that when I went to her and said, I'm going in the ministry that she was just going to go, ah, you know, we're all going to die or whatever, uh, because ministers weren't known for being, you know, affluent, uh, at the time. And so we, um, so I, I really hesitated and I remember telling them, uh, telling my parents that yes, I'm surrendering to the ministry. I'm going to the ministry. And they started weeping. And at first I'm afraid those tears are just like, Oh, his life is over. Uh, but then they expressed to me, we could not be more proud that you have that God has called you to do this and and my dad there at my ordination service laying hands on me and and praying for me praying for me, God's blessing upon me and and I realized that I was not just obeying them not just honoring them but but bringing joy into their lives because I was living they knew that I was living the life that God had called me to live and and that's what that's what we all need to, this is it. Live an abundant life. Acknowledging the sacrifice it took to make your life possible. You see, because my dad worked hard and my mom worked hard so that I could go to school and, and, and worked hard to have me in church, worked hard so I could hear the word, be surrounded with people who teach me the word. Where they didn't know the word, they put me with people who did and encouraged me in my faith. They wanted me to have a stronger, greater faith than they had. And, 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 that became, and when that became true, they felt as though it was a mission accomplished. It was worth their sacrifice. But here's where it goes beyond that. Our Father in heaven sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ. Laid, sent his son to the earth. Jesus laid his life down so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to fellowship with God, so that we could receive his spirit and be empowered with the spirit, so we could do what we were put here to do. What the fall of man had taken away from us, God sacrificed greatly so that we could have life. So when we live that life, 
We're acknowledging, I know this costs you a lot. So I am going to live the life that you died for me to have. And when we have miserable, wretched lives, when we have lives that don't mean anything, when we hate our lives, what are we saying about the people who sacrificed so much to give us this life? What are we saying to God who sacrificed everything to give us this life? No, don't settle for that. If your life is miserable right now, if you feel like you are not, you have the opportunity, even today, it doesn't matter how many years have been wasted, doesn't matter how many years have gone wrong, doesn't matter how many lives, uh, how many years of your life have not been doing what you were put here to do. Today, if you'll say, no more, no more, now I am going to live the life that God put me here to live. I'm going to do what God put me here to do. If you'll do that today, you honor him. You obey him. You honor him. And now you are living the life that God died for you to have. And he rejoices in that. He rejoices in that. When you, when you find the joy in serving him, say, I, I don't just want to settle. I want to be who God put me here to be. Here's the invitation. It's very simple. Love your father. Love your father. Love your father by doing what he asks you to do, by honoring him, by living a life that brings glory to him, by representing him well, by being his ambassador and living the life that he called you to live. You know, Mother Teresa had a hard, difficult life, but she had joy in it. Even working with the dying in Calcutta, India on a daily basis, she found joy in the fact that she was obeying and honoring her Lord and living the life that she was put here to do because she loved doing what Jesus made her to do and it brought her joy. So it's not about having a big house or having nice cars or getting to go on all the vacations we want to go on. Those are things that people grasp for trying to find joy, the real joy, the real purpose in life is when we are living the life we were made to live to bring glory to God. And so we can say to him, thank you for giving me life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could live this life. And I love it. Love your father. Receive the gift of life and then live it for all eternity. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for the life that you give to us. And Father, just pray that we would embrace it today. Embrace the life that you died for us to have. Lord, there should be joy in it. There should be peace in it. There should be love in it. There should be kindness and gentleness. There should be self-control in it. Patience. Lord, these are the things that should characterize our lives. And if they don't, we're not living the life you meant for us to have. If we're carrying a heavy burden, Father, we've not, we've not done what you asked us to do. You said to come to you, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and receive rest. That your load is light. So if it's heavy, we're carrying somebody else's load, not yours. We're living a different life than you meant for us to have. And so, Father, may we just simply come to you and, and say, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to live the life that you died for me to have so that I might obey you and might honor you and live the life that you give to me for all eternity. May we just come to you in obedience today. For we pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.